0: Ungrateful heart.
1: Hi, I'm Charlotte,
0: and I'm Perry,
1: and we are thrilled to announce—so
0: thrilled, so Uh thrilled episode four right after a long hiatus
1: long hiatus we (laughs) were on a sabbatical we deserved it um yeah I've been spending lots of um days and nights working on the (laughs) and it yeah we needed a sabbatical but here we are today with lots of news yes um and lots to talk about lots to theorize about buckle (laughs) up
0: well, another reason that we had to take a sabbatical is because I lost power for a week and needed to take some time to rest and recuperate from that. Um, and Very I'm a survivalist now. It was, honestly, it kind of was. It was like nice and I like read a bunch of books, but it was also really hot. And on top of not having Wi-Fi, this ha- town just doesn't have service. That's so rough. So we'd have to take like a daily pilgrimage to the train station to get like... And that's how we like strategize about yes. our
1: episodes, is you sitting in the library parking lot or the middle yes. school
0: Yes, bleachers. well, I, walked, I would walk to the bleachers or drive to the train station. Um, it was really fun.
1: That's so chaotic, <laughs> but I love it.
0: And then Charlotte's um, building a van from scratch.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> I, I'd love to take all of the credit and not credit Theo at all and be like, yeah, I'm doing it. But... Um, <laughs> Basically, like Theo bought a Sprinter van and has it outfitted with electricity and solar panels and a sink and water sources and an induction cooktop. So it's basically like a full house um, on the road and it's cute like so we bought it mostly outfitted a lot of people outfit these themselves and that's like a really fun undertaking and I think in different circumstances we would have loved to do that and we're gonna continue to make improvements but like what we bought was already outfitted kind of like skeleton of it and it was all this like wood so it looks like you're in a sauna it looks like you're in like a Swedish it's like so spa. cool it's so funny so like everything's just like wood and then I've been like really careful to make everything else like whitish or like beige minus mm-hmm. a few like little artistic like whatever like things on the wall and shit but like everything's basically like beige and white. So I live in a spa now that has wheels. I'm sure people have questions about a lot of things and like it's there's like so many confusing elements to like how this works but yeah, that's kind of the overview. Yeah, no, we're going to be driving through like Idaho and Montana and Wyoming and then like go down to the Grand Canyon. But, like, shit is like hot and also there's fires everywhere. So, we're gonna be constantly shifting our journey, I think. But we're driving back east essentially and we'll arrive back east like early October. But yeah, as of now, Theo has a gig in Israel. So, oh, wow. I didn't I know that. Yeah. So we're under that timeline, which is why the trip across the country like is going to take a month, but otherwise would have mm. taken like two. Like we could have really dragged that out and it would have been a lot of fun, but we're going to try to just get back so he can catch his flight to Israel and sing <laughs> opera there right now. That's crazy. I, That's there's awesome. so many questions. They're still <laughs> sorting out, I guess they're procedures and everyone's just still figuring out what any of that means but as of right now that is what's happening somehow so yeah so I live in a van we um I've been all over like life hacks like this kitchen tool can do it all like those kinds of things
0: because <laughs> tiny home a limited,
1: literally we have such limited space it's actually like my dream to like I just love organization and I love like Convenient little living spaces that are like very minimal. So it's mm-hmm. actually sort of like my dream realized. But yeah, I'm moving into a van and parried enough power for like a week. So basically, we're outdoorsy girls now. We love adventures. We love the outdoors. We love nature. That's mm-hmm. us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In other huge news, <laughs> um, last time we read a review by someone whose username, I think it had numbers. I feel like it was like CISA 93. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't know who it was. It turns out it's my friend. (laughs) We're believing that. And, (laughs) and she doesn't want me to say her name because she was really embarrassed by that username (laughs) because she made it when she was 12 and doesn't understand how to change it with Apple. So that's, (laughs) so she was like, please don't reveal that's me but it's a dear friend and we really appreciate the review
0: here secret is safe with us and thank you to everyone else there's been a couple other people I guess maybe we should have asked them but I noticed that like my friend Susanna wrote a really nice review that was the only name I recognized because these usernames I don't really know who they are but Mm -hmm. we really appreciate it there's like six of them now yeah you feel so inclined to tell us how much you love or hate us
1: yeah, love or hate, we love enemies. We love friends. <laughs> we love lovers. Um, all are welcome. Thank you for writing those. I feel like that's such a thoughtful gesture. Like that. I oh agree. my god, that's like gonna make me mosh Anyway, um, <laughs> that's dope. Yeah, we should like read another one when we, um, ask them for permishmash We yeah, love yeah. consent. Um, in like wild news, do you want to like explain what the f word happened at OTSL
0: this week? Yeah, I don't really know. Uh, This... Who was he? Like, what was his job there? Oh, fuck. We're so bad at reporting. Whatever. We're (laughs) going to Okay, we wanted to bring this up because um, (laughs) one of our friends was like, you should talk about this. And I totally agree. But like, we were in the middle of constructing this episode. But we wanted to say that we do want to talk about this Opera Theater St. Louis situation. Um, And if anyone has any intel or would like to point us to any intel, please send it our way. So this guy basically was arrested for sex trafficking.
1: I'm looking correct. up where he worked right now. So, um,
0: he was the director of artistic administration. He was arrested for sex trafficking um, in the second degree, which means ages 12 to 17.
1: But something that's important to me with these charges that I had to look up, and so did Theo, so did a few other people, is that someone correct me if I'm wrong. I think I've researched this enough now to understand that could not be a charge that's conflated with prostitution of a minor in the sense that it's not like, oh, like I was like seeking to like um like pay someone for sex and mm-hmm. unknowingly it was a minor. That to me, like from what I understand, is not the same charge as sex trafficking, because trafficking okay. is the act of participating in making that happen for others. Like yeah, more it's of like, like
0: being a procurer. Yeah. Right? But anyway, so this shit is really blurry. We don't really know the whole story. Uh, do not. But we would like to know. I think that would be a really cool thing to try to, like, report on and do, like, a whole, like, serial situation, right? Unfortunately, Opera Theatre St. Louis is just coming off of another scandal, the whole Stephen Lord thing, which is obviously a totally different situation. He was not trafficking people, but he was acting inappropriately towards people. So it's kind of like two for two
1: (laughs) we don't even need to get started with that it's just so sad on so many levels that all of this has gone down the way it has but um I think all industries have a serious issue that's already understood at this point but this is a new level I think people wouldn't have expected um and it's just really interesting it's chilling and I'm just I'm really interested to see what comes out about this because it's very I mean he was an agent for Cammy yeah Right? So he was like an international like blah, blah, blah. So it's like, how did... Fancy man. So how did he get involved in this? It's just very chilling. It's just very chilling. So I understand why people don't want to talk about it a lot. But I do try to put on a brave face enough to do the research to understand some of this shit because it is truly fascinating.
0: Yeah. And we'd like to do some more work with that stuff. We just haven't. So send (laughs) us some things or recommendations or thoughts you have, and we'll try to start constructing some sort of episode about this. Yeah um
1: oh the last thing I wanted to say was like thank you to everyone who's been engaging with the spreadsheet and sending Mm -hmm. it around and asking questions and asking for additions all of those things um we want to sort of leave it where it is right now in terms of content it as of now has been updated through mid to late July and we want to use that as sort of a In a sense, it's a living document because we could update it, but I kind of want to leave it as is, as this Mm -hmm. document that references everyone's reaction within two months of George Floyd's murder. And then I want to check back in in six to eight months and see how these companies have sort of held to the words that they said um, in these initial statements that we have listed. So I think we're going to use it for that and just check back in in six months and see how these statements have held up. Uh, But thanks to everyone who's been looking through it. It means a lot to
0: us. Yeah, it's exciting. Some people came to us with like some cool ideas for projects. So maybe something will come of that and we'll update you guys when that happens. (laughs) So uh, the vibe of this episode is authenticity. (laughs) We've been trying to question
1: why and how you can feel authentic in certain situations and not others, especially as it relates to us being opera singers. Mm -hmm. We're going to pose a few questions that we're going to answer. The first one is, what's a memory you have of realizing there's a disconnect with feeling authentic in opera in the same way you feel decidedly authentic in so many other situations? This is how this idea for an episode sort of started is us sharing these stories with one another so we're both going to share our little tales <laughs> of yeah. just I don't know important cornerstone moments for us in this thought process
0: yeah so I had this happen to me uh earlier this year before the world ended um So when I first moved to New York in 2016, I worked for a really small contemporary opera company that was run by composers. So they wrote their own works and commissioned works from their friends and people they didn't know um, and put on really cool shows. They were really nice guys. I loved working with them. I did like any and everything with them. I was their ASM. I edited their videos. I did transcriptions. I like did organizational stuff. It was fun. Um, and then I started grad school, and so I stopped working for them. Um, but they didn't know me as a singer. I didn't sing for them. I was very much like the intern, the like, right. I don't know. <laughs> the arts admin homie. Yeah, yeah. It was like a great like learning opportunity mm-hmm. for me. Um, and they had an open call for auditions. And I was like, you know, I think this is my time. This past year, I think it was in December when I applied. Um, You know, I can finally step out of this, like, intern admin vibe and into, like, who I am as a singer. They'll, like, take me seriously and they know me. So it's I I have a leg up, right? Um, So I sent in my application and uh, went to my audition, like, a month or so later. And I tried so hard to be, Uh. like a singer it was like a very casual they're casual people like you don't need to wear like this crazy audition stuff but I decided I wanted to do that because I wanted to separate myself from this person that they knew me to be you know it was like pretty casual I don't really wear any makeup my I do have some visible tattoos it's kind of like Charlotte and I have talked about this um I'm very, like, alternative in the opera world and then very normie in the real world. This was (laughs)
1: almost our insta-bio. Was (laughs) alt IRL? No, no, no. normy IRL alt in opera world. Like, I-O-W or something.
0: (laughs) And it's a nice line to kind of straddle, I think. Um, But, you know, I really undo that for my auditions. I have, as we spoke about, I wore that Emerald Green Reformation dress to this audition. I wore my nice heels. I had makeup on, my hair is done, and I'm a little stiff. <laughs> right. And I sang um Am I in Your Light from Dr. Atomic and then did a monologue from Gone Girl. I felt like the aria went fine, but I was really nervous about the monologue because I was like, oh my god, I say the word threesome. Like, not only do they not see me as me, they not only do they not see me as a singer. They don't see me as like a sexual being like I'm very it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a father daughter thing. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not they're in their early 40s, but like it's, you know, it's a paternal vibe. Um, And so I was really nervous about that. I left the audition. I did not get it. And I was I was really sad about it. I take rejection pretty well when it comes to singing. But that was the one that I was actually sad about this season. And then one of the guys reached out to me and asked if I wanted to get coffee to talk about my audition. And I at first was like, no, (laughs) I could not imagine. I couldn't handle it. But then I was like, "Okay, grow up. I have to just do it. That's so funny.
1: I could so see myself going through the same thought process (laughs) of like, I'm way too emotional to have an honest discussion about my shortcomings. Like, fuck off. (laughs) I'm embarrassed. Literally. It is literally like this embarrassment thing.
0: And I guess I should also preface all this by saying I'm just not good at auditions. Mm. I never have been. In the past five years, I probably felt good about two auditions. Um, There's no rhyme or reason. I've tried to figure it out. I feel like I've tried to do everything. I can't fucking do it. It drives me crazy. (laughs) So, like, I need to take this opportunity and talk to this guy, blah, blah, blah. So I went and got coffee with him. And he did not say what I was expecting him to say at all. I was expecting him to be like the monologue was inappropriate, da da, da da. No. He loved the monologue. It was his favorite part of my audition. He thought my basically my singing was stiff. And also more importantly, um, he didn't buy it. He yeah. didn't buy any wow. of it. Wow,
1: that is he, the big message of this, isn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> he was not convinced mm-hmm. by my like singer costume. He was like, it was just so weird to see you like that. Um, I'm used to seeing you, you know, in your casual clothes, like what you're wearing now. Like, I get that maybe some opera companies wouldn't like that, but I just feel like I didn't know who you were, mm-hmm. um, which was honestly completely unexpected. <laughs> um, and he said that I was way too formal in general that I like, it was a small room and I didn't really look at them when I was singing. Cause like, I just, I couldn't That,
1: that. is still out for debate in my little book. Yeah. Of like, I think I've heard people say that it makes them viscerally uncomfortable when you look at them. So yeah. there's still so much debate on that, but sure, that's that's fair. That's his personal preference. That's sure. totally fine.
0: I think there was absolutely totally truth in it. Mm-hmm. That um he could tell I'm full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> he can tell that And I feel this- full of
1: shit. We <laughs> we feel full of shit. We
0: feel full of shit. We're authentically whatever-
1: full of shit. <laughs>
0: Whatever I'm doing when I'm doing an audition is just not it. I feel like, like, I have the trappings of all of it. Like, mm. I know I look good in my dress. I know that, like, I'm wearing the right thing. I'm singing the right rep. I, I look the part for the rep that I'm singing. And everyone's like, you're full of shit. Goodbye. Right. <laughs> um. I just can't pull it off. And it feels like no matter how, like, present I am, how much I think about whatever, or even sometimes when I'm like, oh, I'll just roll out of bed and do it. I can never get there. I always feel like a sham or like a little cookie cutter. And this, this guy had this kind of insight because he knew me these other people I feel like when I go into auditions have no idea who I am they're just like who is this I have no idea what her Mm -hmm. story is what she's even trying to present what she's even trying to present
1: yeah it feels like she has no idea god that is so much of what we're talking about is the disconnect of seeming confused because we are
0: Mm -hmm. but wanting it so badly than being like, but I'm trying so hard. I'm wearing the right thing. I practice all the time. I pay all this money. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm, (laughs) What mm -hmm. else do I need to do? Right. So what Um, are they picking up on?
0: Yeah. And I brought this story to my coach and he was like, you just need to get better at singing. (laughs) And I also think there's truth in that too. Obviously there are cases where people are just simply better than me. You know, I I can't deny that.
1: Yeah. 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 If my singing was better, I bet I'd, be thinking about this element of it less perhaps but I think my singing would be better if I sorted this out too Mm -hmm. I believe that those are completely connected Mm
0: -hmm. I've Mm -hmm. I have
1: three degrees in singing I have taken lessons with so many people I've coached with so many people I've done so much different type of rep I've performed so much different type of rep I don't think that disconnect is with a lack of knowledge of how to sing well Mm
0: -hmm. I firmly believe that there's another disconnect there that might be affecting your singing Right. But it's not a lack of knowledge and it's not a lack of practice. And it's not it's,
1: a lot of lack of thinking. It's something deeper than that. And it's not a
0: lack of desire either, of mm-hmm. like conscious surface level desire. So after this happened, I actually ended up telling this story on our first little episode that we never released. <laughs> and I don't even really remember. I don't remember what we talked about, but I did tell the story as something that really affected me and really made me step back and think, oh my God, it doesn't matter that I feel like I look incredible and that I'm wearing the right thing and that, I don't know, it just doesn't matter. I, I'm not pulling it off. Um, so that, and then that was when the word authenticity popped into my head. Uh, Which is
1: kind of why we started the podcast is to practice and access feeling more authentic in relationship mm-hmm. to these multiple avatars that we have yes. and can feel very Hannah Montana Miley Cyrus. <laughs> and we're <laughs> trying to bridge that. And it's it's just no way to live to feel as though different parts of yourself are battling. It's just mm-hmm. it reads and it's also just unhealthy and it's also just not necessary. And I think that's the journey that we've gone on by even doing this podcast. But it's also the journey that we're gonna speak to today as to how we understand authenticity and how we can be maybe be more playful with it and Mm -hmm. maybe be more intentional about it such that our surface level desires of like wanting and um, not desperation, but just wanting so badly for something to work just simply isn't enough. And it feels like this cycle. So it's like, okay, what's a more active step we can do to feel more comfortable in our skin in this situation? And that's sort of is why we needed our sabbatical for this episode. So (laughs) sorry, we needed (laughs) weeks for this.
0: And Charlotte, when have you felt authentic? What's your Uh, story?
1: Yeah, my story is rando. It's so (laughs) rando. But because I don't think a lot of people know this. Well, actually, the four people that really listen to this podcast probably do know this about (laughs) me. But So I, when I lived in New York for a year and a half, two years, I worked as a server to be able to have a schedule that was flexible for auditioning and performing. And I ended up falling into fine dining randomly. And it is, I've I've worked as a server on and off since I was 18, so I had enough know-how to speak my way into a job that I was completely unqualified for. (laughs) And this restaurant, I'm not gonna explain like what restaurant it is, but this restaurant's pretty well known somewhere else in the world and then they, they kind of built a knockoff in New York. So a lot of celebrities come because they're familiar with the name. And if they stop through New York, they want to come see it until they find out that it's a knockoff and everything is not the same and doesn't taste as good. But that's a different conversation for anyone who cares, which is very few people. So um, in that job, I ended up serving David Spade and Jimmy Fallon, Chelsea Clinton, the Arnaud's, the Rothschilds. I didn't serve the Hadid's or the Kardashians, but they came in frequently. But the first time and the second time I served David Spade, he was dining with Jimmy Fallon and then a few other. Actually, Chris Rock, I think, was there the first time. But so both times David Spade came in. The second time he came in for his birthday and asked for me to serve him. The first time the host is actually from somewhere else in the world and did not know who David Spade was and sat him at a table that was like really inappropriate for anyone who understands restaurant life
0: Oh and my and I
1: looked at him and I I knew that I recognized him but I couldn't tell from where and eventually I had this crazy realization I stepped back into the hallway and I was like I think that's fucking David Spade fuck and I had to like get my shit together anyway so The reason I tell this story is when I served David Spade and Jimmy Fallon and Chris Rock and the second time when it was just David Spade and his family and Jimmy Fallon for his birthday, I never had an issue with feeling connected to myself, feeling like I wasn't like, you know, coursing with adrenaline and having a hard time feeling grounded or having a hard time feeling like I was comfortable or having a hard Mm -hmm. time feeling like I could seem comfortable to someone I just felt very natural because I for many reasons that will go into but I believe it's heavily connected to your subconscious and like sort of your thought patterns that you believe about yourself on a really deep level and I don't have many about serving I'm good at it it's not that complicated it's a not a part of my identity it's not something I put Mm -hmm. pressure on it's not something I have that desperation for it's not something I have this deep desire for being good at it's something that I can naturally be in the flow of because I have always been good I've always received accolades I it's a skill set I'm good at because it's a lot of emotional intelligence which I just naturally possess for whatever reason So both times I served them, I never felt nervous. I never felt scared. I wasn't sweating. My palms weren't sweaty. I I didn't say anything awkward. I felt completely engaged with the way I was. I I never felt like, oh, shit, what did I just say? You know how that happens sometimes, especially at auditions. I'll walk in. I'll walk out and be like, what did I just say to them? What joke did I just make? I was fully in my body. It was like very easy for me. I was making them laugh, which I will now take to the grave as my biggest accomplishment. And so, you know, and it happened with Chelsea Clinton as well. And I never never felt weird. I think a lot of other people may have felt sort of a confusion or a little bit of like this chaotic internal dialogue in that situation because it can seem kind of pressure filled. So how come I didn't feel pressure filled at all and deeply enjoyed it and had a really good time? and felt nothing (laughs) that was concerning to me Uh, and felt completely in control. But then in an audition space for a job that I like may or may not even want, ultimately sort of takes advantage of my labor in many ways, given the part of my journey I'm on in opera. So Mm -hmm. a pay to sing or a sing for nothing gig. How come I walk into those and I'm like, I'm Charlotte Jackson and I'm going to be... Like, what? Are you okay, dude? Like, I don't even care about this fucking... like what. So, so our conversation around authenticity and sort of how we can play with that and how we can address this giant monster that is our subconscious that feels like it can take over when we don't want it to in so many ways. I think the way I sort of made sense of it in my own life is I started to tell myself I literally have this written in my notes I have a note about singing and performing and opera and all that and one thing I reminded myself as reminded myself of is what if I thought about walking into these opera auditions the way that I walk into a shift serving what mm-hmm. if I just walked in and I was like hey okay this song gonna be singing bada bing bada boom And then, you know, peace. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Like, just so much less pressure. And I started to really do these mental gymnastics to figure out what that felt difference is in my body, what that felt difference is in the words that I tell myself about myself, the stories we develop about ourselves. And I started to try to figure out why there's such a massive felt difference in my body, in my chest, in, you know, all of it when I walk into an audition space versus when I serve famous celebrities that just I just have fun mm-hmm. and I mean of course if I like am pouring wine for someone or I'm like getting Jimmy Fallon a array and you know whatever so like I don't want to fuck that up and if it gets fucked up I'm definitely like annoyed but I can recover so much more quickly from potential mistakes or mistakes in those situations in serving and I just sort it out it's just another Mm -hmm. challenge and I just sort it out and it's not this shame complex it's it's not yeah it's not a shame complex it's not any sort of uh internal dialogue that that I then take with me into my next shift and I'm like well I fucked that up and I'm really (laughs) mad at it like I just don't it just isn't the shame spiral and I just am so fascinated with the power of the internal story that can drive what we feel like is authentic or not I think a lot of it is like us convincing ourselves but that's why we got into the next question. Unless but you want to talk even, about that of it. Well,
0: and even then, you know, I can tell myself whatever I want to while I'm sitting in like Opera America, like mm-hmm. um, at those like little like restauranty type tables. Mm-hmm. I can like focus and visualize till the cows come home, and then as soon as I step over that threshold mm-hmm. into Plasto Domingo Recital Hall, <laughs> uh, I lose my mind. It doesn't matter. Like I can't figure out. What it is, and yeah, no amount of pretending that this means nothing matters to my like deep subconscious. Correct. It all completely goes out the window. So it can't just be. It's not that simple. It is that simple, and then it's also that hard.
1: <laughs> well, that's why, and yeah, and we'll get into that in the further questions. But I firmly, the reason that I have sought so deeply to understand this question, and I think you have too, in your own way is because I realized how much affirmations are not enough and visualization isn't enough. Those things actually work. But the thing is, they're not the only tool and they're not the only solution and they're not enough most of the time. And I think a lot of people have different answers. Some people might tell you to like give your life to Jesus Christ and then it'll be okay. Like everyone has their own (laughs) understanding Mm -hmm. of the world. My understanding of why that isn't enough is because your body is having a visceral reaction of fight or flight and you need to address the body reaction you have to these situations, and that is work. I think anything, that's really the bottom line, I think anything relating to detangling subconscious narratives of self and authenticity are not as simple as an affirmation. I think a lot of people build their like wellness brands on Instagram by saying that because it sounds nice and it sounds easy, but the people that you need to look to or the thought processes you need to look to toward improving how you feel in a situation, if it sounds too good to be true, it is it's work. Mm -hmm. It is work to try to make yourself feel comfortable in a situation that doesn't feel comfortable naturally. And I think maybe that's sort of my bottom line with the answer to this that we'll get into later, but It's it isn't that easy, unfortunately, but the tools that it takes take time for sure. Anyway, told me a story down the road of how someone called them fake and someone called them a social climber because they wanted to go say hi to someone in a restaurant. So I had this long conversation with this person. And they described this other person as saying all of these people are fake when they try to talk to people in positions of power. And this person said, you know, I don't feel fake when I do that. It feels really authentic to me. And I don't have any sort of internal storyline that tells me that that's wrong or fake or bad. It feels totally normal and totally genuine to me. But to that person, is it? this is the question, to that person, is it really fake and inauthentic that they're doing that? Or is what you're saying that you don't feel authentic doing that? Because Mm -hmm. of something you've told yourself, which that's not a judgment because that is the case with me as well. But that's sort of what I want to look at is when we go on autopilot and don't think about these stories we tell ourselves, where do we end up with where we feel authentic and where we don't?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's such a better question than I wrote for the next question. (laughs) (laughs) So our next little category, if you will, is what does authenticity attach to in a larger sense of what it means to be human? how have you come to create a framework around what the process of feeling authentic looks like to you? What does cultivating authenticity look like to you?
0: Perry has some ideas about (laughs) her framework as usual. So I was thinking about authenticity. I don't know if you've heard. Um, and I wanted to do some research and it's very hard to read good writing about authenticity in like the philosophical canon because a lot of it is sort of um, at the end of the the day slightly generic platitudes even if they're trying really hard to get specific it just kind of is it falls empty in my opinion so I actually remember that um, Martin Heidegger talks about authenticity and I was in the middle of taking a class on um, being in time when the pandemic happened being in time is like his magnum opus but I literally have never read anything harder than being in time. (laughs) It is the hardest thing I've ever read in my entire life. And we didn't get to the authenticity part (laughs) in my class before coronavirus happened. So uh, I started looking into Heidegger and then actually got more distracted by just the beginnings of his thesis than the authenticity shit, which I barely understood when I was researching it now. Also, when I was looking up Heidegger authenticity, the articles were all like why the top five interpretations of Heidegger's authenticity are wrong. Oh. It's God. Like, I, I can't handle that. That's
1: like a little intimidating.
0: <laughs> so actually the beginnings of his argument apply very well here, I think. So I'd like to. Perry's tell you interpretation
1: about them. is the right interpretation.
0: <laughs> um so Heidegger also wanted to kind of get to the bottom of philosophy and he felt like questions about whether or not we exist are a waste of time and we have to actually get below that not just what does it mean to be these things or be these things in context um kind of almost like an inversion of Plato's cave allegory so Plato's cave allegory is um like the common people are people who are sitting in a cave facing the wall looking at um shadows that like torches cast onto the back of the wall and that's what normal life is and philosophers turn around and look at what's carrying that fire what are those shapes actually not just the shadows of those shapes and that philosophers should be more inclined to look at what's like beneath the surface and Heidegger was like no 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 that's a total waste of time we have to look at the shadows because that's what we interact with um every day he hated um Descartes so Descartes is obsessed with dreams like are is Mm. everything a dream are we a brain in a vat like are we in the matrix Heidegger's like we're not even there yet also stop worrying about it
1: right oh god (laughs) is that so true isn't that so true in so many levels people can get so lost in that stuff because it's an escape become escapist instead of just focusing on the things you can work on and the things you can change and engage with
0: and all these things kind of presuppose being on some level. And he wants to focus on what what is this right now, not what might it be. Um, so he believed that we are not isolated beings or even subjects that are cut off from like the objects around us. He felt like the internal versus external world distinction um, was a waste of time. We are not in a locked cabinet of consciousness so we kind of just like exist in a little armoire, and then like open it up
1: <laughs> an armoire, and like,
0: <laughs> and like touch the computer in front of me. You know, like it's it's an integrated worldview where the this is the and crucial the part mm. are one and the same. Mm. And he also uh, uses he he's he's hard. I'm sorry that I keep saying that. No, it's he...
1: it's actually beautiful because it relates to so many other things. I think that's like yeah. literally. I love what you just said. It's inside and outside are the same. They're integrated. Yeah. It's wholeness.
0: It's how we experience it, you know, to, to, to assume we experience it in any different way is to make a lot more assumptions about the world around us than Heidegger feels comfortable making.
1: I love that. Um,
0: we're thrown into this already completed world, which is intertwined and interdefined. And, um, one of the lecturers, uh, I can't remember if it was the lecturer I had for this class or the lecture that I was listening to online when I was trying to finish this class, um, but he compares it to like a note and a melody. We can't... You can't describe the note without the context of every other note around it. It becomes totally meaningless to like look at a C and be like, to there it is. It. Oh, I don't know. You know the song that's like
1: C, something in C?
0: I think you're going to have to get more specific.
1: Okay, it literally. <laughs> that's the thing though, is it's like kind of named that. Oh my God, once I figure this out, it's going to be so funny. You always study it in 20th century music classes. It's, like, literally just the note C in
0: various oh, um, forms. um, isn't it Steve Reich? Yeah, isn't it? Hi, this is Perry Editing. Um, In C is not by Steve Reich, and I apologize. <laughs> it's I think it's called In C, in right? In C! <laughs> I think it's Reich. It's not. We, we should have that up before <laughs> we...
1: <laughs> I think it's Beethoven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Happy 250th. Um... So anyway, so he also uses the phrase referential totality. We need this referential totality of the rest of the world. You can't isolate any single thing. Um, It's a holistic view uh, that we are part of and defined by everything that's around us. And of course, we are very interested in defining ourselves, defining ourselves as kind of like a natural extension of us trying to define everything else around us. And Heidegger says that self-definition is based on some sort of future, but not actually a future that ever arrives. And he uses the phrase um, a primordial future, something which you are always becoming, but never fully become. Like when I say I'm a singer, I never arrive at the singerhood. I take a stand on my being and I create an identity based on this totality of references around me. Nothing is fixed, but you know, I have like this music that's behind me or like the electric piano that's behind me, and I have this history of going to school and having these roles and practicing every day, and all those things contribute to my singerhood. They contribute to me becoming a singer, but do I ever fully get there? Uh, He says no. And I actually think that that is a really good way to look at this like aspirational authenticity that I'm kind of imagining that I'm striving for. Um, An incessant movement of becoming, because that's all we can really claim to be. Um, And I actually believe that a lack of authenticity oftentimes comes when people try to become static in who they are instead of flexible. And when we try to think of ourselves as subjects, surrounded by objects right so I do feel like part of this issue is striving for this authenticity that I'm trying to make static and I think uh, I think that that's what happens to a lot of other people as well although some people are more successful at it than others and I'm wondering why why are we so um, fixated on making ourselves totally immutable and stationary when that's not the way anything works Um, So one of the reasons I think that is because God has died. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard. (laughs) Um, So I think that there is, there has been a void in the past, I don't know, a couple hundred years where organized religion used to really give us the sense of morality, purpose and destiny um, that has kind of opened up, even if, you know, I think obviously there are still religious people, but as a society, and especially as like a contemporary youth society, we have lost a little bit of that structure that religion gives us. And um, so this guy, Jacob Gollum, also agrees with me, uh, and he wrote a book about authenticity seen through the lens of actually fiction written by these philosophers, which is kind of a cool perspective. And he says, "Um, the vacuum left by organized religion and society, where humanity is left without any pillars of fire to guide its way, is the cultural and intellectual background for the emergence of the search of authenticity. Um, And that really resonated with me and also made me think of the edgy Nietzsche quote, God is dead. Which is actually so much more than just those three words. People have kind of forgotten um, the rest of the quote and what Nietzsche was really going for, which was not this sort of like edgelord, like, fuck God, like we're past it now. He actually says, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement? What sacred gains shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed far too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? Um, that feels a little correct to me and it's not so much a loss of god as it is a loss of the spirituality and mysticism that makes our lives i mean i guess i won't speak for everyone that makes my life feel a little bit empty and so what has filled that void uh base level i think capital the exchange of capital has filled that void that we are buying and selling and that becomes our kind of morality and our ethics and also our definition of personhood Mm. that has kind of become transformed into the search for authenticity which is completely married with the buying and selling of both products and people therefore I think um, authenticity has become a commodity something to be bought and sold and something that you have to place a price onto in order to both buy and sell it uh and that forces it to become static because in order to price something you have to be able to kind of hold it in your hands right um you can't price something that's constantly changing and transforming and uh growing it's impossible this sort of thing this buying and selling has become uh these festivals that Nietzsche was talking about that we have to use to sort of replace God and spirituality and mysticism in our lives. We are, not, we are defined not just by what we buy and consume, but how we buy and consume each other. And we can no longer separate that exchange from our p- personhoods. And I spoke in the first episode about how singers aren't just workers. They're also also consumers, uh, but they are also the product they are being bought and sold. I am selling myself and also buying others by like engaging with their content in a way. Um, I don't think that this is a bad thing, but I think it is a thing. And I also think that it is distinct from this aspirational idea of authenticity that Heidegger presents that I dream of uh, embodying. It's impossible to do in this um, situation we found ourselves in. Um, so authenticity has become a commodity, and I'm fixated on it because no one has been interested in purchasing mine. I have... So I, I struggle with it, and maybe if people did want to buy it, I wouldn't be confronted with it so badly. Um, and as a commodity, it's become fixed and calculatable. I don't think that's authenticity. I think we can f- find ways to make that a more authentic existence, but I don't think that um, authenticity can be static and held and it turns us into the product that we are forced to buy, (laughs) especially on this level of um, opera existence. You know, everything's kind of like Mm self-help. We're trying to figure out like how to sing better, how to brand better, blah, 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 blah. Um, And I also think the distinction between authenticity and branding, or almost like the aestheticization of authenticity, is very stark in opera. And actually, our friend Heather sent in a voice memo where they say basically exactly this, and I'd like to probably insert it now. Actually, when opera companies and competitions um, ask for authenticity, what they really want is like a two-dimensional cartoon person. <laughs> they want like a loud two-dimensional cartoon person rather than a nuanced, dynamic human who would be, you know, many things. Think about the people who are super successful. They do like one or two things really, really well, and off stage they... Have branded themselves. Branding, even, which is something that um, artist managers and um, like social media experts w- uh, say is super important for their artists. Branding basically means you are putting yourself into a two dimensional version of yourself. You like pick two or three things that you really care about and then you say, I'm a new music mezzo. I'm a pants roll mezzo. And I totally agree with everything they've said. Totally. And I feel like something they're touching
1: on that you're talking about and I'm about to talk about is the idea that we've all become a little helpless or without grounding because that is the God that we serve is this commodification of self in this situation Mm -hmm. that we're referring to both, both on a larger scale, but also in in specifically discussing opera. And I think it's left us feeling like we are not getting the answers that we want to get. And that's why we're seeking more and saying that it makes you into a 2d cartoon of yourself is such a great example of why we look in the mirror or we look on our Instagram as a mirror and we (laughs) see that and it doesn't speak to us enough because it's not the whole story. And it's kind of this beautiful circular thing of going back to like Nietzsche's statement. Like it's not the whole story, the commodification, the lack of uh, a God or a mysticism is not enough. And I think that's what we're confronting when we confront that that version of us doesn't feel true and whole because it's not. Yeah. Anyway. And
0: something that I was struck by is, you know, they're also a mezzo. And uh, it's hard. You get, obviously, in every um, fach, you get put into a box. But it feels really weird when the box seems to fit. And so then it makes even less sense when you're still having trouble finding the success. You know, I kind of get put into this box of a pants roll mezzo. I fit in that box very well, and I enjoy it. Um, It kind of just so happens that this sort of rep fits with whatever type of person I sort of am and so constructing this argument is difficult because on some level I, I get it and kind of paring yourself down in this way when it works out, is it really so bad? Right. <laughs> you could say yes it is so bad, it just so happens that you sort of lucked out and this that's mirror a part of, the conversation. of yourself mm-hmm. fits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah that's just something that I thought when they said the pants roll apart.
1: Yeah. That's, yeah, I definitely understand that. I don't think it's bad to find a way to aesthetically show who you are. I don't think any of these th- these things are inherently bad, but it's this balance of engaging with them, but ultimately seeing yourself as more than a commodity that can be challenging. If you are someone who receives such a deep reward from those things, I could totally yeah. see that. And you know what's like a great example of that is a lot of people are not singing right now, and a lot of them are saying like, you know, I'm really tired by how I have to act in these environments, and now that I'm not acting like that in these environments – I just I'm a little tired even thinking about it so Mm -hmm. it's not again it's not good or bad and I'm going to go into that and what I have to say about this as you're saying we've talked about this and confronted this quite a bit because we are not receiving those accolades and rewards as much in the opera world so we're trying to sort out this disconnect but that disconnect leads you to the bigger question of like what is and what isn't I think when you notice something not fitting in Or not being rewarded in the idea of commodifying your identity. That is when you meet this giant gap between what you've been told is real by capitalizing on your identity and what feels like a deeper missing puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. And I'm really fascinated with that deeper missing puzzle piece. And I think so is Heidegger. And I think what's so cool about this is that. A lot of the sort of neo-religious or neo-spiritual or like mystical elements of our belief systems now, especially in Gen Z, so deeply pull on Eastern philosophy. And it's so funny to me because I feel like Heidegger is such a bad boy in Western philosophy, but he's actually just parroting, I mean, you know, Buddhist concepts, Hindu texts.
0: Yeah, just kind of like in a more confusing, convoluted way, basically. <laughs> yeah, and
1: so it, it I'm going to go into sort of how I make sense of this little universe. But before I do, I just wanted to say I really love the idea that Nietzsche is talking about something that I think we're all confronting right now. And it's really beautiful, which is that by killing God in the organized religious sense, by bringing about the age of enlightenment in which everyone was like, I think it's more about like me and my journey and, like, Catholicism can go, like, frick off. Mm-hmm. We actually forgot the final step, which is, I think, what Heidegger gets into. But you can also, like, read Buddhist texts to get into it as well, which is the idea that everyone's connected. And, yes inside of you is everything that is outside of you. And it's all one, it's all this whole giant thing that's all connected. It's interconnected, it's interdependent. You cannot separate things and categorize them. It's a very Western concept to even do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really beautiful. And I think it's really beautiful that Heidegger pulled on something that I think we're all pulling on now, which is sort of the return from this academic rigor, this Westernized canon of academic rigor, re-psychology, re Scientific method, all of that to also remember there's other researchers of times past and it's the Eastern philosophies and it's the religious texts and it's the mystics and it's the shamans. And they also had a lot of cool things to say. And the more that we get into the science of it, the more we realize they overlap quite nicely with a lot of the spiritual texts of times past that we may have decided we needed to kill God over. Mm -hmm. And I like to um, think about how those things have all combined in present day, which brings me to me making a slight case for like neo-spirituality and how I can therefore make peace and find playfulness in the idea of identity. And that is how I understand authenticity. So I just want to make a case for it briefly before going into how I define authenticity within that framework. I just want to say, first, humans have always been obsessed with the invisible. If it's religion, if it's psychology, if it's Heidegger saying that you cannot separate things into these tangible elements, you have to look at the whole and how Heidegger relates to Eckhart Tolle. And for those who don't know who Eckhart Tolle is, he, according to a New York Times article, you can describe him as... Not identified with any religion, but using teachings from Zen Buddhism, Sufism, Hinduism, and the Bible. Think Kabbalah, think Hindu texts, think metaphysics, etc. Those things are so deeply related to what Heidegger did, and that and Eckhart Tolle is such a like neo spiritualist, and it's all so interconnected. So, so much of this dialogue is also connected with Western academia, psychology, quantum physics. And I think what's so beautiful about this moment, as I've already said, is that those two things are marrying one another because they're all starting to say similar things. Now that we've gone so deep down the hole of this academic rigor, scientific method of proving like the God particle and what quantum physics tells us about our reality and what psychology tells us about the subconscious, they all sort of mirror the ancient teachings we've always had and decided we needed to throw away for this new like scientific way of thinking about things. And what I love so much about living right now is that in the digital age, all of this knowledge is equally accessible to us, and we've all taken the opportunity to look into it and see how it's all so connected. And isn't that fun? And isn't that playful? And it doesn't have to be scary or confusing. It's just that there's so many researchers have passed, and I think it's our job as humans to consolidate it into our own way and grow it and research it and test it. And I think that's what it means to be human. So the one thing I want to say about quantum physics so that people don't like not know what I'm saying... It's been shown through, um, you should just Google this anyway, because it's really fucking fascinating, but it has been shown that through observation of a particle, it changes, not through you doing anything, just by looking at it. And I think they also showed it in a different experiment that just by thinking about looking at it and then looking at it, it already changes. So what does that mean? So what it means is your consciousness holds a significant amount of power, not only inside of you, but outside of you. What does that mean? That goes back to the point of what Heidegger was saying and also like Buddha, which is that like (laughs) your inner world is your outer world. Your outer world is your inner world. So now that we all feel like we're blazed on my living room couch,
0: let's (laughs) move forward. Um, So something that I find very interesting about um, how like the observation of particles changes the particle is that... You can kind of apply it to this theory of whatever authenticity we're sort of working towards, where this idealized, perfect, authentic self, where your outer life, the choices you make perfectly mirror your inner ethics, um, it's impossible on some level to observe something is to change it, to make these choices about something or to change them. To bring something into a relationship is to change something about how that piece of you was internally you know Mm -hmm. Um, and so we can talk about this perfect authentic man right but it just doesn't work and it's kind of proven in science too that you just can't have this one to one perfect uh through line to what you believe and what you do it doesn't always work that way and that's just how the world is yeah you're
1: constantly Shape shifting and adapting and growing and changing, and nothing is static and nothing should be overly defined. We should all just like continue to experiment with what these things mean to us and how we can shift parts of who we are because we are malleable, because the universe mm-hmm. is malleable and we are the universe. <laughs> so, back to our podcast about opera. <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> like is everyone okay? Okay. This is such an <laughs> existential like thing, but I just think it's important to like share that I have a playful attitude toward all of this because my, like, brand of existing, I guess, is to find all the connections within this. I think, like, there's almost no religious text that I can't find some truth in that's shared by so many other people. And I think that's mm-hmm. what's so special about being alive. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. So <laughs> so the reason that all of this playful attitude toward continually engaging with and shifting ideas and engaging with and shifting my identities and the way that I face challenges is that I think – It's just about the only way to not get too bogged down. I think if you are so concerned with your identity as a singer or your identity as a good singer or a bad singer, you're getting so lost in these like low vibrational subconscious storylines. And if you can remember that all things are mutable, all things are changeable, you can grow, you can shift. I think it just takes a lot of the pressure off. And I think that is what people see in us in auditions. They see us being like, I am a singer with this resume and I need to look like a singer with this resume and I'm not. It's just like, okay like just stop like shut the fuck up you know what I mean like I think people can just see on our face that we're just like so concerned with these concepts and ideas and if we could just like have a little bit of distance between what we do day to day and who we think we are and how those two things are related, if you could just put a little more distance and just be like, I'm anything. Like I can try anything new. I can grow at any time. I can change how I approach this thing to make it easier on me. I can always find a new solution. I can always test a new theory. It's not, I'm not this one thing. I think that is probably the best solution I have found is to constantly try these new tools and constantly try these new ideas on for size.
0: Mm-hmm. So that
1: gets to, I just can't take credit for this. I have to just start by crediting her. This really awesome woman I follow, her name is Gabby Abrao. She, her handle is at SciSwoon. That's Wolfie agreeing that he loves that Insta. <laughs> so she there's so many ways to describe who she is um i'm just gonna read a quick bit from an article that somebody wrote about her so size spoon's instagram acts as a self-help forum where she creates a positive language with the invisible she offers advice her takes on astrology and insight into other spiritual trends Her spirituality is an eclectic mix, borrowing from East Asian philosophies, Western mysticism, and cognitive, maybe even pop psychology, i.e. like human potential movement, wellness movement. So she says, my current expression of spirituality is explorative and aspirational. I believe that following globalization and the internet, we have more knowledge and awareness of spiritual practices from all around the world. There are truths and flaws in every single one. It's passed down research. So... That, to me, makes it so much easier than saying, like, I tried affirmations and they didn't work, so therefore, like, no form of mysticism works or no form of psychology works. It's like, there's infinity tools. Just choose Mm -hmm. another one. So in thinking and editing and adapting and evolving your thought process to any given time that you're living in, I like to think about all of these ways of thinking as me living in a video game. (laughs) So what do I mean by that? I like to think of myself as a sim and like, what do I want to do with the sim? Like I've always had a certain type of haircut, but what if I want to change up my avatar and have a different one? Cool. Let's see how that works. I think if you can just add a little bit less severity of thought to decision-making, you can kind of Um, find more room to grow faster and not feel so stagnant. So how do I think about this in terms of opera? I think that I've overly defined myself as one avatar and that when I do the audition avatar and I put on the heels that I don't really like and the dress I don't really like, I get so caught up of it being a different identity and that that's like so untrue to me. And like, what a silly, overly simplified, overly reductive idea of self. Like Mm -hmm. you can be anything you want. You just have to figure out if it's worth it to you. And if it is, just figure out how to make it feel comfortable through whatever set of tools work for you. I don't know. Like there's so many different ideas. Maybe it is a meditation practice. Maybe it is a therapist. Maybe it is just being a marathon runner. I don't know. Isn't that like what Lisette does and she like feels chill all the time? Like everyone has their (laughs) own like things, right? So like you just have to find what works for you. So um yeah, I say all of that to say I think it just like provides a little bit more of a playful engagement with your reality and uh, just brings you to a place of higher thinking that I think you could associate with East Asian texts of being like, oh, like, you know, do, like separate from your emotions, separate from your desires. I don't fully believe that that's a way that I personally want to live, but I do like the idea that you're more than your desires, you're more than your various identities. You are your avatar, and you can mm-hmm. create any avatar you want. So, um, I say all of that to say uh, first of all, you need to follow Sai Swoon and <laughs> dive in with her of how she develops her language with the invisible, be it subconscious and conscious relationships within your brain, be it the mysticism of like spells and rituals. Be it um, literally any of it, or her idea that we're all kind of cyborgs, and that's a great one too. But just
0: dive into her literature, and I love I love her TikTok about um, the uh, like the observer watching. What does she call the other one?
1: I think the performer.
0: The performer and the observer, like trying to embody that more and seeing all these things as a learning experience and understanding that. I mean, it's kind of, like, cheesy on some level to be like, these things don't define me, but, like, it really doesn't. And figuring figuring out a way to detach these two things and say my failure as a singer says something about me, but it doesn't say that I'm a failure. It is worth it to try to figure out what it is saying, but to have this one-to-one formula where failure singing equals Failure, me. (laughs) Failure, me. (laughs) It's just uh, not really worth my while. It's not
1: worth your while, man. And isn't that what like capitalism and commodification of self tries to do to you is like define you in these narrow lenses. And then it's like so easy to get into this like existential dread. And that's why like I think the death of God is so sad. And I think that's what the Age of Enlightenment missed is like you missed that final puzzle piece that I think we're finally getting back now, which is that Mm -hmm. like the mystics were also right it's both Mm -hmm. and like I think that's why like when I and I'm so anti being anti religion like when I hear people be like oh, like, finding my identity in, like, Jesus was, like, whatever to me, it's, like, that is not how I understand the world, but I also think Jesus was, like, a really cool witch, and if people are, like, (laughs) in relationship with that energy and use that as a language to explain how they identify themselves with more than just their sets of desires and conscious wants and conscious identities, I think that's a positive thing overall. I, like, lit, you know, whatever, (laughs) like, I'm down with it. So, Um, I wanted to read something. Oh, I just wanted to say about the TikTok too. It's so cute because it's like her first thing is her being in the mirror and putting on makeup and she's like, wow, I really love like wearing lipstick and I really love looking pretty and I'm going to go put on this dress and I'm really excited to go on a date. I love going on dates and I love seeing boys and being on (laughs) dates with boys. (laughs) <laughs> and then <laughs> there's like it cuts to the next part, and she's like, "Wow, she's really having fun. Like this is so cool that she's doing something fun. I can't wait to see what we learn from this when she comes back tonight after the date, and we take off all the makeup and decide like what we learned from doing this today. It seems like it's really fun for her. I hope she has fun. And <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like that's it. Yeah, yeah, you know, it should be that simple. Anyway, so sigh swoon in relationship to um, identity and professional self wrote something that I want to read she has like an advice highlights thing and somebody asked about the professional self and I like freaking love this so the person asked how do you self-represent in professional settings while not compromising who you are she wrote back remembering that my professional self and my playful wild self both exist and aren't enemies to each other you have everything inside you waiting to be performed when it's necessary aesthetically I enjoy complimenting an environment while still remaining true to myself maybe I won't have my tummy out at work with a crop top but I'll still be in head-to-toe baggy beige which is another look she loves to wear anyway have fun playing with all of your different selves in different spaces it's not a compromise it's an (laughs) add-on how fun is it to think of it as sort of like a Sims expansion pack as Perry thoughtfully (laughs) described it as earlier (laughs) to me to think like so you have an opera singer expansion pack and it's fun to figure out how to mix your true self with a different environment than you're used to and I realized I really do do that in serving because I am not I am not. I mean, listen, people who know me know that my natural identity wouldn't be someone who'd walk up to someone who's like an older white dude who like literally Michael Cohn, right? Was at this restaurant often. So I'm not someone who would walk up to like the Rothschilds and be like, here's your scotch. Can I get you anything <laughs> else? Like that's not my natural whatever. But I enjoyed finding parts of myself in that job, like dressing in really fun ways that I loved, um, making people laugh, um, making fucking so much fucking money. Like those were ways that I found playfulness and self in an environment that I had to edit myself in or whatever, but it's not an edit. It's an expansion pack. Mm
0: -hmm. It's just a different avatar. And trying to figure yourself out within sort of a confine can be sort of an interesting uh, experiment and a way to like yes. actually figure yourself out even more. Experiment. Like when you don't have any restrictions, you're like, I don't even know where to fucking start. Like what do I even do? Yes. And also, it's not like what I don't, I, I don't think that commodifying authenticity is a good thing. However, you can't not do it. Right. If you're going to be in this society. We live in a Tea. society. Um, <laughs> So I guess you could be like a full anarchist and like just kind of put all of it to the wayside and stop interacting with people in this way. But I don't want to do that. And at this point in my life, I don't want to give up on opera, but it's hard to feel so fixed and stagnant and stuck. And I think it's really worthwhile to say, you know what, I'm confined in this way. What can I do to make this experience better for myself and for everyone around us? And I think that is is kind of what we're trying to do with this project. Totally. And it feels like I'm adding a piece of myself to this opera puzzle that I was yes. never able to add before. And it's a really cool feeling. It doesn't feel like a failure that like I'm compromising in a way. It feels like I'm expanding.
1: Expanding. Oh, my God. I love that. And I love thinking about all of life as an experiment because I think you just get so much less ego. And by the way, I don't think ego is automatically a bad thing. I'm saying you get so much less ego involved in the process when you're not like, oh, like I didn't do that like the way I wanted to or like this person does this well and I don't do this well. It's like, okay, but like, okay, let's try a new way of doing it if it really matters to you. Like there's something Mm -hmm. to be learned, obviously. So try to learn it. It's, it is yeah. it is the video game. It's the quest. It's the side quest. It mm-hmm. is, the right? Like, just come up with your own thing. Like, just take it all a little more lightly. And, like, someone could be like, hey, Charlotte, like, I think you're dealing with disassociation if you're thinking of the whole world as a video game. And to <laughs> you, I'd say maybe you need a little bit of that, though. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe we're taking it a little too seriously. And I think there's some people who, like, didn't have traumatic childhoods and grew up in, like, a really, like, chill home life. And maybe they can just, like, go through life as is and they don't need to think about it as a video game they're doing just fine I really benefit from taking myself a little less seriously because it's not a natural inclination of mine for various reasons so it's actually really healthy for me it's all a balance but that is how I achieve that balance is I like to be a little more playful with my world and I think it's a good idea for me because it's really easy for us to take ourselves too seriously in this opera world at least Perry and I feel that way and it's funny when we first started talking about the idea for this episode like long ago I remember one of the earlier concepts we were drawing on is how in those spaces we like to be like, oh, yeah, like I just, I, of course, it doesn't work for me. Because like I am like a cool girl and like mm-hmm. I'm edgy exactly. and I'm like leftist and radical and I'm just like so fun. So
0: no wonder it doesn't work. And like, that's so stupid. And such a coping mechanism, like yes. using the fact that I'm like three percent cooler than some of these people as like the reason why I'm failing as an opera singer like (laughs) obviously I'm trying to cope with something I'm trying to cope with failure and I'm projecting that onto these other people who are doing well and saying like well if I was like more basic I'd be doing well too like obviously that's a fucking lie yeah you're getting yourself into a trap
1: that's the whole point is we were trapping ourselves into a binary and that's so stupid it's just that like our expansion pack we just hadn't loaded the expansion pack all the way and just realized like it's just a fun add-on find a way make it work as they say in project runway make it work and the thing is it's it could seem so daunting and it could seem like it's so flawed but I know it's not because I do it in other situations Mm -hmm. I've had normie jobs before and I'm just like I I can like thrive in those environments be like sure I'll get you that like how would you like your coffee like whatever and then I thrive in serving environments I'm not like a server as a human And I like thrive in those environments. I thrive in most environments. I find a way to make it work and I enjoy it. So why was that so hard with opera? I think it's because I built some structure around it in my head that just totally threw off the video game. It made me take it so seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the benefit of like quarantine vibes is everyone's like removing a little bit of the idea of their identity of self being like based on like their labor or like their like whatever like I only have this much time left to get this yap which is gonna let me do this thing like yeah like it's just it was so unproductive anyway and it wasn't working and I think I don't really add that sort of like stupid pressure to myself in any other capacity and I just never have the same issue and then other people probably add that pressure in different situations that I don't add it in it's like no you just have a different skill (laughs) set
0: like that's what it is it's so important to remind yourself of that It hurts sometimes. You know, it hurts to kind of come to terms with it. And also something you talked about, Charlotte, a lot is, you know, obviously all of of these things are true. However, if you are trying to force yourself to do something that is so incongruent with who you are, you have to consider whether or not it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And that definitely is not a decision that I have made with opera yet. I hope that we can actually enact some change and so that our like slightly more authentic selves can fit more smoothly within the confines of this opera world because of changes maybe we make, you know, in my like big dreams, we're like changing the structure of how these opera companies work. That would be a really cool thing. However, if none of that happens and I looked into my future and I see myself just trying to maybe do a little bit of a square peg in a round hole thing for the rest of my life it's it's a choice i'm going to have to eventually make does totally. this work does does this avatar f- fit and is I, this avatar I have, worth it to you yeah does the struggle that it takes to really like yes. get yourself into this opera mold mm-hmm. does it fulfill something in you that makes it worth it
1: absolutely I don't that know. which is kind of the last question which we've already sort of answered but i'll just read it anyway why do you think certain types of authenticity feel more natural to certain people, which we've just talked about? If it's possible to develop this feeling of authenticity, even if it's a challenge, what makes it easier or harder to access? And how do you decide when it's worth it? Well, we've already kind of talked about that. Hmm. So that brings up to me sort of the tough love element of my like fun video game, which anyone who plays video games regularly would know. I'm not one of those people. So what the f- fuck am I talking about <laughs> but but no let's actually bring up Perry when I would go play <laughs> when I would go to Perry early on to like discuss this back in January when like the world was like a different video game most certainly um <laughs> I would watch her play Minecraft and she would mm-hmm. just work and work and work and take her little I don't know what is it like an anvil what's like the like the little hammer thing pickaxe yeah she would take her little pickaxe she was pickax, mining I
0: was I was actually creating a subway system. That's so
1: funny. So I went over multiple times. She was just like hacking away at this. So it's like it, it takes work, right? You can't just it do does. an affirmation and your subway system exists. Mm-hmm. You have to make a choice to do that work. So that be to cheating. Me, that would be cheating like a cheat code. So like to me, there's two elements that decide like, is it worth it? And why is it hard? How do I make it easier my answer to both things are still in the video game analogy. What's in your backpack, in your inventory, in your toolbox? Do you have, like, do you, have you tried, like, meditation? Have you tried, uh, you know, like, any sort of, like, personal practice of, like, working out and body movement? Have you tried seeing an acupuncturist? <laughs> have you tried... Talk therapy? Have you tried like Chinese medicine? There are so many ways to um make yourself more open and uh allow for more possibilities by having sort of a more like calmed sense of self through body work. Or through like just like meditation, affirmation, whatever. I encourage everyone, and I find have found personally to try as many different tools as you'd like to see which one vibes to you the most. And I think it's really problematic when you see someone in a wellness forum be like, "This is the like course that I took that." changed my life and I never bit my nails again and now I sleep eight hours a night perfectly and now I weigh one pound it's like okay no like no all things are possible dream bigger find what tools work for you don't be afraid to try different things so the first thing is what does your inventory look like I think that can heavily define like how you end up pulling on different tools in different circumstances to make things easier for you never listen to someone that says that it's one tool it's just simply not the second thing I want to talk about is uh the idea of it being worth it. I think that you can make that decision with if you have all of those tools, I think that part of what happens when you have those tools and you pull on them enough is that you develop this like relationship with your inner self that can kind of feel like I don't I think I could like really thrive doing this thing and not do this thing or I could really thrive doing this thing in this certain way. So, I mean, yes, you can be any avatar, but I think the more you develop a strong sense of self, is the more you can decide which avatar you really want to try. I mean, expansion packs cost money, right? and they take investment and then you have to learn like how to use them so it's Mm -hmm. like I just want to really say that like my idea of this video game thing is not flippant everything takes work and if there's one thing I have learned in adulthood it is (laughs) that things take work (laughs) like in terms of bettering self like I wish I wish the watered down version of mysticism that the west has adopted was so easy as just an affirmation or writing something on your mirror but it's simply not and I've talked about this before I won't go too deep into it but my biggest tool in my my toolbox is the idea of body work and again I'm not saying this is the only way it's just something that's important to me the idea that like you can do like somatic body work that like Alexander Technique is a very relatable version of that but anything Mm -hmm. that connects you with when you feel like suddenly there's adrenaline flowing just getting in touch with that is it when you walk into an audition room is it when you walk into a certain social setting I think doing the work to listen to your body and trying to detangle sort of the like nervous system deregulation that we can have in our everyday life through any sort of body work is so fascinating to me. Nervous system regulation, I think, is one of the primary ways you can rewrite wiring into the coding of your avatar that might be from an old version of yourself that doesn't need to come with a new update. Do some new updates. Rewire some things (laughs) that maybe are reactive that don't need to be reactive. Why do I react? I have literally like put on certain dresses from certain periods of auditioning and been like, (gasps) like literally (laughs) like, I feel like I sing worse in them. That's because things are wired a certain way in the coding. So I have literally put dresses aside and been like, I just need a new dress this season. I can't, it's too much vibey like energy. So the more you can regulate your nervous system and rewrite and update those codes, I think is an opportunity for you to kind of like feel more relaxed in situations that have felt stagnant and challenging and consistently challenging no matter what you do that's one tool in my toolbox so yes I think all of the world is a video game and you can play it however you want but you can decide how much of the work is worth putting into something and I think that that's really healthy and valid that's that's my theory of authenticity
0: yeah I mean it's always fucking easier said than done and yes uh I it's still you know when someone is like authentic in this way that uh You really feel like their brand matches with who they are. You can really feel it. And I still don't know, like, how do I totally get there? Like, I kind of mentioned this on the Instagram. But I think a perfect example of this is Anna Netrebko. Mm. I think whatever she has done, whatever type of person she is, it is on her Instagram. (laughs) The way that she acts, she acts like a fucking insane person. She has pissed so many people off. Uh, justifiably so. She has some very questionable opinions. Um, But who she is on Instagram and who she is as a person, to me, it feels like a one-to-one. And that, on some level, is a success. I don't know quite how she does it or why she did it or what kind of pushback she does, but that this whatever commodity she has, the branding she has. She barely does really any branding. She's just as like whatever, like posts whatever, like kind of mm-hmm. bad pictures of mm-hmm. herself on Instagram. There's just kind of like a lack of a barrier there that feels so. The lack authentic. of a barrier. Totally. Totally. And also the fact that she is this huge superstar and can get away with mm-hmm. this kind of slightly less branded and clean. Presence. Totally, you know like obviously I don't think I could get away with that and become the same level of superstar as her that's just not going to happen right so you have to make some concessions but it's just weird to look at and weird to just keep going back and say yes it's a process why is that person better at it than I am why is that person worse at it than I am What kind of baggage are you bringing into it? Exactly. What kind of projection am I putting on to these people?
1: Yes. And like what projections are you putting on to yourself? And that's such... That is such a quest in the video game, isn't it? Like Anna Mm Netrebko I don't think has these... I mean, she's a human. Like I'm sure she deals with this a little bit. But I think often like the way that I like have been told I am a certain thing enough can affect how I try to like when I try to better myself how much stuff I have to undo how many backspaces I have to press right and like that's not the same for someone like her who maybe was like always pretty good at singing and Mm -hmm. so like that's not like a that's not a thing that she has to work through in her quest in the video game that's not a part of her like side quest but like my like her side quest is definitely like emotional intelligence toward like racial sensitivities like the Mm -hmm. fuck but like that's I mean (laughs) that's a constant side quest for everyone for infinity but I'm just saying like you bring a certain amount of baggage with you into this life that you have to like do some quests to work on from like your Mm -hmm. childhood from whatever and I don't know everyone has a different side quest of what's easier and what's harder and you just have to decide if undoing that baggage if that's something that's a challenge for you in a certain avatar is worth it and you know what hey I never want to Well, actually, it's really funny. Imagine if this happens. I never want to buzz my hair. Watch me post a picture of me with a buzzed haircut (laughs) one day. I will pull this audio out because it'll be so funny to me. I'm um, just like put it over, like I will never buzz my hair with like a picture of me with <laughs> hair, but like I don't want to, and I also don't think it's worth undoing all of the ideas that w- I would have to undo of like my desires to do it. To do it, I could, and I would have to work through my ideas of femininity. I'd have to work through my ideas of male gaze. I'd have to work through my ideas of why I value my hair, and like could I also find that value in other things? The mm-hmm. answer is probably yes. It's just not a side quest I'm going to take. When someone runs up to you in a video game, like come get to the castle and get the thing with me and you're just like no dude you're an idiot that's buzzing my hair I don't feel like doing that so you can decide it's all you know up for you to decide um that's a
0: great example like figuring out like I think that goes hand in hand with like other traditional like feminine choices you make like the choice to shave or the choice to not shave like Mm -hmm. who gives a shit But I think you do have to figure out what's worth it Mm -hmm. and not just what you feel like you should or should not do. Yes. Right. Isn't that the so important element of it? Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: Keep that fluidity. I wanted to read something Spoon said about digital personality as like a closing number on that. Mm -hmm. So I we should just post this meme because it's like I'm just reading it directly. But it's a picture of a man on the front in a full suit with a bow tie, and then the and then he's standing in front of a mirror. And you can see the reflection of him in the mirror. And the back of it is full feminine lingerie, top to bottom. Like the back of the shirt is cut out. The back of the pants is cut out. It's literally like a thong and like a bra and all the shit. So the front, the front of him that's dressed in this like masculine suit says, I'm an influencer, I guess. And under the back of him where it's all lingerie, it says, I am a self-curated avatar conducting experiments and communicating through a new digital medium. Every day is a study in both the limitations and freedom of the internet, and this app specifically, in human nature, in digital relationships, in form versus formlessness, and more. To experience this alternate dimension and the lifestyle it produces is an ever-unraveling thesis that has yet to offer an accurate title, description, or set path.
0: I think that's beautiful. And it releases you from like this bitterness. Like bitterness yes. I have for influencers who I feel like are grifters or who are totally fake. Like it's so much more complicated than that. Yes. You can be that and also be so much more. You can be totally fake and also have these seeds that uh, follow you through that become slightly more authentic as you participate in this mm-hmm. falsehood sort of. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Stay fluid. Stay ever-changing. Stay adopting. Stay over open to possibilities to me it also goes back to the the cancel culture conversation of like this person is a sexist or a racist mm-hmm. like no 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 right. no 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 like that is so stop categorizing shit no one's a fake no one's a poser does mm-hmm. anyone remember in middle school where it's like certain people were just branded posers mm-hmm. or fakes what was that about let's just stop defining stuff in such a like it's just so low vibration sorry to be so like annoying by saying that but it is like <laughs> do something more interesting and bored that's my that's my thesis (laughs) allow for fluidity and change allow for growing allow for changing allow for um being an adaptable avatar and doing your quests and having your journeys and being less bitter
0: even in these tight confines of the opera world and instagram like all both those things have such tight high expectations um and we can work in those things and kind of make something cool, maybe. Yes. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> I feel like I literally, I just, I, mm, it's just like a tingly conversation. Like, I really love mm-hmm. this.
0: Maybe even after this conversation, I'm going to walk over the threshold of my next audition in 2026 and <laughs> feel the same exact thing. I don't know. Me too. But it's nice to just talk the, yeah. about it.
1: I don't know that the tools in my toolbox are yet strong enough. I think yeah. that like, you know how in Minecraft you get the like diamond axe or whatever? <laughs> Like, I don't yes. know that I have the diamond axe yet. I think I'm pretty close with, like, bodywork. It's felt very truthful and aligned and effective for me. But I don't know that I'm going to have my diamond axe by the next audition. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of smaller tools that work pretty well, though. We'll, we'll see what happens.
0: You can also enchant things on Minecraft and make them even more powerful and make them last even longer. <sighs> so it's like, you could have this diamond. You could have this diamond axe, but then there's a bunch of different spells you can put on it. And you can't put every spell on every axe you have to like pick and choose you're like okay my priority for this axe is this spell and you can't have multiple ones
1: you just said a mouthful there. That's like, that isn't that like the truest shit? That's like such a beautiful analogy. Fuck. We should have had a whole, this should have just been about Minecraft this whole episode. It actually is so perfect, isn't it?
0: It's actually funny you bring it up because I actually was doing some (laughs) research like months ago because when I was playing Minecraft and then also taking this class on Heidegger, I was like, Minecraft is like almost kind of Heidegger's world in a way because he has this whole theory about tools being ready to hand versus president hand like you hold the tool you hold the hammer you don't think about the wood that it came from and the like blob of metal that's on top of it wow. and where it came from it's a functional hammer it's not all of these other things it like kind of transforms when you use it very similar to Minecraft where you have to like you know chop the wood and it takes three wood to make the specific thing three wood the thing- but once the thing is there, you're not seeing the three wood. You see the thing. Dude, I'm you
1: obsessed.
0: <laughs> so I actually Googled <laughs> I Googled Heidegger and Minecraft. Did someone talk it at, about it? On JSTOR, JSTOR nothing. On Heidegger and Minecraft, I found one video. But it was actually because these, like, preteen boys were playing hide and seek in Minecraft. But they wrote a typo and wrote Heidegger Minecraft. Shut the (laughs) fuck up, dude. I love the internet. I love the internet. Of course, people have written about it on Reddit. There's one in, like, Ask Philosophy. I was like, has anyone thought like the, the about the connections between Heidegger and Minecraft? And someone was like, shut the fuck up.
1: Shut up, <laughs> no, dude. I love though. I love that. It really it's is like that, that isn't it? That's it. so funny. And I just think the playful attitude we have toward constantly exploring and learning and allowing for change in video games is a mm-hmm. great way to think about life.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's I don't know, great- man. Oh. That's our episode. <laughs> I feel like I sound so blazed, but I actually, like, am not. So,
0: congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you for listening. Um, I don't know. We had a lot of fun with this episode. I know it kind of, like, maybe seemed like it sort of took a, a little turn. You know, we kind of approached it with this one idea, and then we both kept having these transformative ideas and then we ended up here
1: <laughs> and here we are in Minecraft um yeah. from Heidegger to Minecraft which is a full <laughs> circle because the two actually relate quite nicely
0: yeah um
1: yes. so yeah if you guys have like any ideas for topics by the way we always want to hear them yeah, um, definitely. we also have a few ideas for things coming up but like please send us ideas let us know what you think
0: or like projects that you'd like help with like something like the spreadsheet or the redacted Um where we can (laughs) the forty five
1: gig redacted. Yeah. Something
0: that I don't know, something that you wish was there that you feel like uh I don't know, you could use some more helping hands with. We'd love to like get our paws into some stuff. T. Cool. Should we end it now?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um I am Charlotte. I'm Perry. And we are uh, once again thrilled to announce. (laughs) <laughs> Bye. Bye. What's that Ungrateful heart.
0: Ungrateful heart.